Welcome to Light of the World. I am Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza, Senior Pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine, from which this ministry comes to you. And we ask you to continue to please support your local ministries and not to send us a penny. However, if you don't mind, tell other people about the word being proclaimed through this podcast. I am here uh, serving us in the back with audio visual today is Shane Perry. Um, he's doing a great job for us. Uh, you won't hear him in the podcast, but believe me, if not for Shane, we wouldn't be on at all. Also here with Ben Strohshine and with Tom Howard. Uh, great to have you again, brothers in Christ. And today uh, on, on um, Light of the World, we are conducting the last episode of season one. So we've been going through the book, uh, Faith That Sees Through the Culture, uh, Concordia Publishing House, uh, 2011, 2018, whenever it was published, somewhere in there, 2018. And we've been following that chapter by chapter, inserting some uh, other episodes here and there. But we're wrapping up season one. Can you believe it, guys? See, crazy. Just amazing. Just flew by. And we will be uh, starting season two, season two very quickly. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. But uh, for today, as we continue in um, our current outline, we're looking at the Lutheran lens, uh, as you know, looking at paradoxes, looking at dualities, and this time looking at the question, what do I say? And when it comes to what is upon the lips of Christians communicating to their neighbors um, about the word of God, it very much matters what we say and how we say it. But first things first, we have to talk about substance. And in regards to what we say uh, in our Lutheran Christian tradition, we talk about the two words or the two themes within God's holy word, the Bible. And those two are the law and the gospel. Uh, Luther was always richly expounding on these two words of God, these two themes of God but also C.F.W. Walther, the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in the mid 19th century. And he wrote a very important book that is entitled The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel. So today we're talking about this duality, the law and the gospel. Brothers, when you think about this particular duality, what are some of the things that come to mind? It's, it, I mean, it's the core, it's the, it's the Everything comes back to it. Everything that we uh, believe as Christians, everything that we profess, um, how how we communicate, what we say. Um, like last episode, last chapter, when we are, I just I think everything finds its roots in these in these two doctrines. Yeah, and I think they're they're very practical, um, in the sense of you know, like you said, how, how what what should I say, and when should I say it? And so, mm. as we think about how we interact with people. Uh, understanding these two concepts and the distinction between them and when to apply each is uh, just incredibly valuable. Um, I think as we apply it to ourselves, but then as we apply it to each other and, and the different um, roles that we have in our life. Amen. And it's important to say up front that in speaking about this duality of law and gospel, that we are speaking of a holy and good duality and that each of uh, the two, uh, the two aspects of the duality law and gospel are good and holy. They are both from God. Uh, God has given both these words to his church, to his people, 
and they are invaluable to us. Uh, we can't have one without the other. Uh, however, having said that, it's extremely important to maintain the fact that they serve two entirely different purposes. And if we're not clear on that, then uh, guys, we can really get ourselves into trouble, right? Yeah, confusing them, it can be disastrous, right? If I think that I'm presenting you with the gospel and I'm presenting you with law, yeah. you're going to look to, ultimately, I mean, is kind of extreme, but you're going to look to earn your salvation, right? And here I keep saying what I think are gospel things, but they're law things. Um, yeah. And so to confuse the two is is detrimental to people for sure. We can give people the exact opposite of what they need. Yeah. Um, and it, unfortunately, uh, you know, without you know trying not to overstate it too much, we can we can really do some serious damage. And. Uh, to people internally within their own faith, their understanding of who God is, their understanding of who they are in relationship to, to God. Yeah. Um, the ramifications of, of misspeaking uh, mm -hmm. are quite severe. And so I think, you know, another thing that you guys were talking, I was thinking about just the humbling aspect of these two doctrines and yeah. um, how important it is to um, work tirelessly to, to make sure that we're understanding them as correctly as we can yeah. and we're um, articulating them and sharing them as, as appropriately as we can. So important, guys. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm not hesitating to say that if we don't do it right, then it's disastrous or detrimental. It will hurt people if we don't do it right. And so I think, I think it's worthy of just, you know, pausing a little bit to kind of soak this point in because it is so important. You know, we know that there is a connection between sharing the word of God and, of course, um, the Holy Spirit working through that word, leading to salvation, leading to that, that uh, status of being forgiven. So it's easy in this one-for-one -one correspondence to think, well, as long as I share the Bible, as long as I share what God says, then we'll take, you know, God will take care of the salvation. But hold on a second, because the Holy Bible a.k.a. the sacred scriptures, a.k.a. the word of God, a.k.a. the word of Christ, the scriptures, yes, are indeed that which are required to lead a person to salvation. At the same time, the scriptures are in two different categories. And one category or word or message or theme is called the law. The other category, message, word, or theme is called the gospel. So we need to know before we share it um, where the person is that we're talking to. Now, I want to be careful here because um, even the Christian constantly needs long gospel. I mean, we always need long gospel. But having said that, if we are speaking to a person who does not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior, does not yet have faith in the forgiveness of sins for the sake of Christ, how we first offer the word is monumentally important and can only be established by having a sense of where the person is in their faith or lack of faith life. This brings us to a very interesting uh, crossroad 
because the last thing that Christians want to be are egotistical maniacs that go around, you know, striving to categorize people, put them into boxes. And I, I am here, I am God's direct representative from heaven to establish whether or not you're going to hell. No, that this is not the picture at all. As a matter of fact, we come as a fellow sinner. We come knowing that the person before us is loved by God just as much as we are loved by God. And we've talked about that before. At the same time, we're, we're humbly seeking guidance by the Holy Spirit to have a sense of where the person is that we're talking to. Which reminds us, uh, by the way, that building relationships are really important. Because sometimes when we think of sharing the gospel, it's this, you know, I don't know, knock on the door thing and like people pass out coupons or something. We're just going to shut out the word. And you know what? You might share the faith in line at Starbucks or something. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit wouldn't work through that. But more often than not, the effect of sharing comes when there's already a relationship established when you know about that person. So brothers, let me ask you guys, what helps you to kind of get a sense where a person is at that would help you discern whether to use law or use gospel in speaking to that person? Listening, <laughs> just shut up and listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Um, hear what they're struggling with, what they have questions about, uh, where they're at in their life, what are their views. Um, and then I think to help facilitate that is to just ask a, ask a bunch of questions. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, we go to a doctor's office to, you know, get treatment but we just don't walk into the office. The doctor says, okay, take this drug or we're gonna have the surgery. What's a doctor gonna do? Ask questions, listen, gather information. The more information we get um, and it coinciding with how well we know the person, that gives me a game plan. It gives me a direction or understanding of where people are at. So hopefully I can give them what um, is most needed. Well, and that relationship has to exist too if they're gonna wanna listen to you, right? So they know that um, in that relationship that you actually love them and you care for them, especially if you're going to have to share the law with them, right. because that tends to come across quite negative or judgmental. And so for it to not be that way, they have to know that it's coming from a place of love and care and concern. Um, but I think in general, when you're thinking about if I'm kind of categorizing you again, very carefully and humbly and not that I can do this perfectly, um, but I'm looking for, you know, are you in this kind of prideful state where you think everything's fine and you don't see any sin in your life or or an arrogance about a sin that you just can't see or are you broken you know are you coming with shame and guilt and this sense of brokenness because th those are kind of the two areas if you can see one or the other now I, I know maybe what i should be saying to you if, if you are uh, in that place of arrogance and pride well the law is probably going to be the answer for you and if you're coming to me broken and ashamed and guilt-ridden, you don't need to be told what you've done wrong. You're there, right? And so this is where that the gospel comfort comes, comes in because you are now prepared to hear it. So just in general, those are kind of the areas that I would look for in terms of how do I know what to share, but I can only find that out from listening and being with you and, and also knowing you well enough to know that, that you've moved up or down on that scale kind of to see that you're in a different place than you normally are. Let's talk. And it's not always so formulamatic where you're looking for a specific word or a specific mm -hmm. phrase. Um, I like what you said about, and sometimes you're, you're kind of gauging 
the posture of, of a person. It's not so much what they say, but you know the meaning behind that and kind of where they are. Um, and sometimes we don't we don't really know that just from the simple language and the word, but from knowing kind of how they're presenting it, how they're coming across, and um, you know, in so many well, nonverbal ways. I'm okay, and you're okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I we're love that. Okay. I, I think you're right on. You're you're right on the money, and. So we're really being listeners and, um, and we're really um, investing in the relationship. I just wanna make sure that, that we all understand what is it that this one theme or word of the law does? Uh, what is it about? And then what is it about the gospel that makes it unique in contradistinction to the law? And remember, both are necessary, both are from God. When we talk about the law, uh, we are always talking about that which uh, commands us or prohibits us, which is to say, it's all about your doing. There's something for you to do or there's something for you to actively avoid doing. So at the end of the day, it's all on you. And that's what the gospel is for. It is to put stuff on you. The law. The law. <laughs> I already wrote a sermon this morning, and so I have to watch myself. Thank you. It's the main reason why Ben and Tom are here, because otherwise you don't know where I'm gonna go with stuff. <laughs> so that law will always, will always put something on you. And with that, then the Holy Spirit will do his work, which according to Jesus, and for example, in John chapter 16 is indispensable. He will come and he will convict, he will convict the world of sin, and he does that through the law. So, so just to be clear, God commands and he prohibits, he puts it on you through the law. What should come of that? When God puts this on you, what is he going after? What, what is he as a good physician trying to do for us at this point? Well, he's trying to show me the truth of, about myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Um, when you give me that list, uh, I might say, yeah, I can do it. I got that done. No problem. Yeah, yeah. But the, the reality is that's not true. And so, um, you know, this is where we talk about the law as a mirror showing me the truth of who I am. So we all have an image of ourselves in our heads. Right. Right. And then we look in the mirror and then we see what's really going on. And the law is doing something similar. We have this construct of, of who we are, where we fit in the world how smart we are, how clever we are, um, how helpful we are, whatever the case might be. Um, and according to our own standards, we might do okay, although we still tend to fall short of our own standards, which is kind of funny to me. But, <laughs> um, but then up against God's law, it, it doesn't take very long in a little bit of honesty to see that something has gone terribly wrong. And um, not only do I fall short, but I fall way, way, way short. Philip Yancey uh, wrote a book called uh, Where is God When It Hurts? And it has to deal with dealing with adversity in life. And there's a, a chapter where uh, he talks about the, the pain network, the physical pain network of the body. And uh, I never really, until I read the book, I never really saw it this way, but um, why do we feel pain? Why does the body feel pain? Well, the, the pain is an alert system, right? That tells me and alerts me to that there's a problem here. Mm -hmm. And if I don't feel that pain, if I don't have any alert system, I don't take care of the problem. 
Um, why does it have to hurt? Why does it have to be, why does it have to be so unpleasant? Mm-hmm. Well, if it's just some sensation that isn't that uncomfortable, I may be able to learn to live with it. I may be, I may just adapt to it and be, you know, just as a part of who I am and it's no big deal. Yeah. It has to be uncomfortable and it has to, mm-hmm. it has to scream at me and be loud mm-hmm. to alert me to the problem. And I think, you know, that's what the law's intention is to do. It's to alert me to the problem that I have. It's not to, the intention is not to make me feel like everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Although we mistakenly take it that way. Mm-hmm. But it's to, the intention is to, to alert me to the fact that there is a problem. Um, and what's even more devastating is it's a problem I can't fix. I love that analogy. As you were explaining the, the whole pain, the physiological aspect, I was thinking of the fact that I also saw the PT, my PT before I came here today. <laughs> and uh, he was working on my shoulder and uh, I felt a lot of pain. Uh, but it was good though, right? You know, I mean, not only was he, uh, you know, really getting a better understanding of what's going on with my body, but he was uh, conducting a therapy that was actually helping my body. Uh, but if not for that pain, number one, I wouldn't know I even needed the therapy. And number two, I wouldn't be getting this fantastic treatment I am now. Um, so what a great analogy that is. And and so just to be clear, and going back to some of the things that Ben said about, you mentioned the mirror um, illustration. Indeed, uh, God's law, and what we're talking about right now to understand the distinction between law and gospel, is uh, something that alerts us, uh, going back to what Tom said, alerts us to this problem called sin. Uh, which is to say, uh, in making that statement, on our own, people really don't necessarily know the sin problem. They, they can't, de- we can't detect it on our own. We really do think I'm okay. Um, uh, So the law alerts us um, in causing that pain that we have a problem. We have this sin problem. Uh, Some of the scriptures um, include Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a law statement. Uh, The law reveals this problem. James 2.10, uh, chapter 2, verse 10 says that even if we keep the whole law, the details of God's law, 613 in the Old Testament, but break even just one, we are guilty of breaking all of them. Now, obviously this sounds very severe, but it's severe precisely because God loves us so much. He so much wants us to understand this problem we have so that we would, be, we would be in a position to receive what he's come to do about it. So um, this is a holy thing, this is a good thing, this conviction of the Holy Spirit to show us the problem of sin, uh, which otherwise on our own we would never know. Now, um, in, in stating um, what the law has given, we have to also, well we should, also uh, alert folks to how the law is not understood properly. And uh, one of the ways that it's not understood properly is when people assume that it's through the law that we are saved. And uh, this approach to the law is called legalism. Um, So uh, I I have this group of L words, and I'm I'm rather excited to recommend it to you because it works rather nicely as a monomic device. So the law can lead to legalism, and just a moment, I'll talk about the other problem, uh, get another L word in there. But for now, brothers, what is the, first of all, what exactly is legalism? How would you define it? 
And secondly, why is it such a predominant problem in our culture? Well, I'm thinking of, of the, the draw, right? So if, if the idea of legalism is that I in some way can improve myself, right? Here's the list of things to do. Um, let's go do them, right? right. Uh, I, th I think the temptation is self, um, self-dependence, right? Being able to look to me to be the one to solve this problem. And I think, you know, culturally speaking, I think that's kind of what our culture says, right? You're supposed mm -hmm. to be independent. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to pick yourself up, get out there, work hard and, and, and get it done. And that simply doesn't work in this case because the, the goal is, is not attainable. And so, I mean, there's a handful of things that go wrong there, but you know, one thing I would have to do is I have to basically lower God's law, right? Mm. I have to rewrite what he says mm -hmm. to some sort of standard that I can meet mm. and then I can feel good about it, mm. right? So, you know, this isn't the lofty New Year's resolution. I pick something real simple that I'm probably already good at or already doing. Mm -hmm. And then I, I say, that's really what I got to get after, yeah. right? So, you know, if you want to talk about eating a perfect diet and exercising four hours a day, Let's set that aside, but I go to work on time every single day. Yeah. That's what God really wants. If yeah. I can just get to work on time. So that's something I can do. Right. I already kind of do it. So, yeah, so I'm a pretty good person. Yeah. yeah. So I, I figure out some standard that I already meet. Mm -hmm. I ignore the rest. Mm -hmm. And then I, it brings me some ultimately false confidence, but some confidence mm -hmm. that God must be pleased with me because mm -hmm. who wouldn't be? Look, look what I am. Look what I'm doing. I had a student ask in class today, actually, why is it so difficult for human beings to admit that they have failed when we know that sometimes recognizing our failures can actually lead us to making necessary improvements, positive improvements. Great blessing. Um, why, why is it so difficult? And so we got to talk about, you know, pride and, you know, all these different kind of forms and causes of it. Um, but yeah, legalism is attractive because it's, it's achievable as long as I lower the bar, right? Mm. I think it's also very tangible, right? I see myself yeah. doing it. I, 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 I experience it and I can see myself doing it rather than taking on somebody's word that something else has been taken care of for me. And then, you know, the last again, go, just goes back to that pride thing. You know, we don't want to admit that we need help. I don't want to stop and ask for directions. I don't want to read the instructions and whatever thing I ordered off at Amazon. <laughs> I can figure it out. I got it. Um, it's just not something that's valued or praised. Um, helplessness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways in the world, that's a good thing to mm -hmm. try and tell people to build their bridge. I think that's the, the duality we live in in our world. As, mm -hmm. as humans, there's a lot of value in us being able to say, hey, I can go figure this out. I can go accomplish this. I can reach the goals. And it, it's through my hard work, it's through my discipline and dedication that mm -hmm. I can achieve things. Mm. In certain areas, that is good, that mm -hmm. is true. Mm -hmm. And we wanna extrapolate that and put that into our relationship with God. Mm. That's where we, we go off the rails and become, become a problem. So to be able to live in both realities as a human Hard work, dedication, achievement is a good thing mm -hmm. in some areas, not in all areas. And yeah. Make that distinction. I think that's a good distinction. Um, and, uh, and one of the reasons I like the distinction so much is because on the one side where it comes to kind of our human arenas in, in the world, uh, even though, I, and I agree with both of you, that our tendency is indeed to put the bar down. We, we do that. But, but these are... Uh, our, 
bar lowering categories, you know, because none of these things over here in the human everyday civil realm require perfection. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we praise and reward uh, that which is excellent or good, but we never need to get to, to perfection. And the reason why it's a problem, as Tom just said, to go slide over here to our relationship with God is because this aspect, this category says that, well, first of all, whenever you want to lower the, the bar, you're, you're just fooling yourself because God doesn't lower the bar. This category demands 100% perfection. This is why we say God doesn't grade on the curve. This is always what God demands is perfection. So um, now when a person does lower the bar though and assume to bring the one category over to the God side, our relationship, this, this can get us into a lot of trouble for a couple of reasons. And uh, I told you I was getting to the other L word and I will uh, in a minute, but first we're gonna, we're gonna go from law and legalism to the two extreme problems under legalism, which are now two D words. And I get excited about this sort of thing because I just, I like systematic theology. I like breaking things down. I'm always thinking about charts in my brain. But one of those D words is that if we are fooled by legalism to go along with it, one of the things that can happen, the first D word is delusion, where we actually think we're all of that plus more that I really can keep the law. This is something I'm capable of doing and by golly, I'm a pretty darn good person. And I, I know, it, I, I don't know how it strikes you. It, it might seem silly or whatever, but this has been a serious theological position over the centuries by some very influential people in the history of the church. One of St. Augustine's greatest opponents was a man by the name of Pelagius. And Pelagius argued, he actually argued in black and white in his writing, that if God makes a commandment and puts it down and records it in scripture, it is there because you can keep it. So the conclusion is, of course legalism is permissible or Pelagianism, which was a form of legalism, because God knows that whatever he tells you to do, you can do. Well, uh, 1500 years later, uh, lo and behold, as I'm doing research on um, Tim LaHaye and Personally, I, you know, he's in heaven now, I, and I say that because I believe he sincerely confessed Jesus to be his savior who washed away his sins. Unfortunately, however, um, as, a, as, as a good uh, neo-evangelical who wrote prolifically, he held Pelagius' position, I mean, point blank. I mean, he, he wasn't shy about it. He took the exact same position that if God commanded it, therefore you can do it, therefore this is true. So um, we really have to guard ourselves against this because it's a preposterous idea. Who can keep the law of God to that extent? Well, and your, your big problem then is now I don't, I don't need Jesus. Right? right. So this is that whole law gospel connection. So right. if you tell me to obey the law and I say, sure, and then we come back and check, oh, am I obeying the law? And the answer yeah. is yes, like yeah. if it really was. Yeah. And then you say, well, what about Jesus? I'm like, no, yeah. I'm all set. I have no need for your gospel. I have no need for your, your Jesus, your salvation, all of that, because, you know, so I guess now there's two routes. Either you can be a bad yeah. person like you guys and need that Jesus fellow, or I can just, you could be like me and 
do it really yeah. well and, and it's totally unnecessary. Or, or a third option, which I think is even more insidious, and I've run into this and I'm currently talking to someone in this third option category, and that is uh, the person who says, no, no, it is, they may not come out and say legalism, but it really is about this, being a good person. And I, and I do believe in Jesus. I, you know, he's been very helpful to me because he's an example to me on how to live this way. And, and he teaches me, you know, he's this really, really exceptional teacher and example in my life. And yes, so yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching me how to be the great person that I am. It's not, a, it's not a logical, it's just wrong, yeah. right? It, it's possible that that could be God's message to us. I'm giving you these rules, I'm giving these expectations because I think you can do it and I'm gonna help you do it. And once you do it, now you're okay, we're okay, yeah. and now heaven is yours. Yeah. It is very possible that that can be the case. Like you said, it's logical. It's logical. Yeah. If that's what he did. If right. that's what he says. We obviously believe he, that's not what he says. Well, what makes it more insidious, though, in my humble opinion, this particular option, this third option, is that as Christians, we don't deny that as Jesus even was fulfilling the law in our stead and saving us, that he was also giving us a good example. Correct. We, we don't deny that, right? So, I mean, there, there's an, isn't it interesting that there's always an element of truth Sure. to these false teachings. That's what makes them so dangerous, so insidious. Mm. Now I said there was another D here. And so mm. let me stay on my path. I'm all excited about this <laughs> monomic devices. So you have the law that leads to legalism. And one of the uh, products of legalism is this delusion where you think you can keep the law perfectly, right? But the other D is if, you, if you're gonna stake everything on the law, my brothers is despair people coming to the point of despair. I, I believe this is the way to go. I believe this is what God is telling me. I believe this is the way I should respond to his word. And this is what his word is all about. And I'm gonna pour myself into it, but it does not lead this particular person to despair. It leads this person now, this other person to, I'm sorry, does not lead the person to delusion, but leads this other person to despair. What are your thoughts on that condition? I first thought you were going to say devastation. That was my guess was devastation. <laughs> that would have worked. It was close. That yeah, could work. We could use that. <laughs> your your former colleague, right, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt. Yeah. Um, all of this just reminds me of his uh, his book, and then eventually is, is speaking yeah. towards. You can find it on YouTube uh, the gospel yeah. for those broken by the church, yeah. and just the wave of of people spiritually devastated who have walked away from the church. Who yeah. Um, have been so broken um, because of a false gospel that has been preached to them. Mm -hmm. And really what that is, is that illusion, that delusion that you can achieve it. And people get to the point where they realize, no, I can't. And that devastation of realizing I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Jesus is my example. Maybe this, this is where I think it's, it's really, really, really a bad thing because this carrot is being dangled in front of them. You can do it. You can do it. See, Jesus tells you and shows you how. Here's the formula. And heck, we're going to bring in this speaker and he's going to tell you all these like five different tips of how you can achieve it. Mm -hmm. And all they're getting is you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. But if we go back to just, you said a little honesty, looking at ourselves in the mirror going, I'm not, I don't. And so maybe Christianity is not for me. 
it's for other people. I'm clearly out, and they 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 feel hopeless. It's not for them, and that's um, what a horrifically tragic place that um, you know people have been brought to because of a false you know message being told them. Yeah, it's it's compounded when these two groups, your two Ds, your delusional and your despaired people, are together, right? Because here we are, you know, we've got the, the speakers coming to give us the five tips for good living and so on and so forth. And you're parading around as if you're doing it, right? I never see you down. I never see you uh, acting like you're not pulling it off. And of course you're not, but you're putting on this facade either for me or, or you're actually delusional and think you're actually pulling it off. And so then when I'm around you, when that honesty creeps in, when those quiet moments of reflection creep in, and I'm not only comparing myself to this legalism, this law that we've set up that we think we can achieve, but now I'm comparing myself to you guys, and you seem to be pulling it off perfect. Right now, I don't see all the real darkness that's going on because you're hiding that, but I, I compare myself to you, and so that's where I'm, I'm, I'm thrust even further into that despair because clearly it is doable. I've seen it. Those two are pulling it off, and, and I can't seem to to get there. That's outstanding. Um, I think you're right. It just, it exacerbates the situation when we're around people who are, who have convinced themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've actually experienced that. When I was a college student, I was going through some of that and I was trying to be real with myself, but I met some, I, I met some folks that, that presented themselves in a way that they, they had achieved something higher. Mm -hmm. And it really made me think about it it is incredibly dangerous. And I really appreciate what you guys have brought out because when we are then led to despair, if we insist on the law that it's for legalism, which is completely false, but if we allow it to do that, we, we, we find ourselves in despair, then some really um, terrible consequences can occur. One of them being is that you know, I, I'm not so clear about this teaching. I'm going to a dialogue here, self-dialogue. I'm not so sure about this teaching, but I'm pretty sure the Bible says something about predestination. You know, and I'm still trying to learn what predestination is, but maybe what it is is that I've been predestined not to go to heaven, that I've been predestined not to be saved. I've been predestined to be condemned. Um, this can happen. Or simply, even if a person isn't grappling with predestination, by the way, predestination is a wonderful, wonderful teaching of the faith that we'll get to on another episode. Don't worry, it's coming. Um, or a person will simply say, you know, my sin is just too great. You know, I, you know, I, I, I wanna believe that, that Christ died for the sins of the world, but there's just something about my sin and my predicament that just puts me over the top of that possibility for me. So this is a, a terrible, terrible threat to people's salvations. So we need to avoid legalism like the plague. It's horrible. Now, um, I shared with you that there's another L word in terms of this uh, law gospel. We're still on the law side of things here, folks. If a person wants to, wants to um, look at, focus on the law and if they're led to a misunderstanding of it, if they don't go toward legalism, the other misunderstanding that can come out of it is something called libertinism. And libertinism refers to the idea that, yeah, God once gave the law, he gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai, etc. But when Jesus came, 
Jesus has canceled the law. There is no law to pay attention to anymore. Um, and this is a, a position called antinomianism. Um, anti mean no, nomianism is law. There's no lawism. The law is gone now. So now I'm, you know, I can believe in Jesus, but pretty much do whatever I want to do because there is no law. Your thoughts on that position of libertinism? Oh man, what, what direction to go with that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately it's going to be equally as bad, right? Because it starts off with you disagreeing with God. Right. God says, I have this law and it's good. And you say, no, you don't. So that's always a, a, a problematic thing. Um, but I, we're, the person is inevitably going to experience destruction in their life, right? Mm -hmm. If you decide that God's law isn't good or doesn't apply to us anymore and I'm free to mm -hmm. literally do whatever I want whenever I want to, mm -hmm. um, this is going to be very damaging uh, to myself and to the people around me as I make selfish choices time and time again without regard to my neighbor, without regard to the consequences. Um, and... I mean, at some point, I, I, there's a little bit, I think maybe this is where you use the, the, the lost son, right? At some point, there's this like, you are just out there on your own. Now, fortunately, in that story, it led to repentance, right? So and actually, yeah. in all these cases, yeah. that despair can lead to repentance. Yeah. I can't do it. Jesus, do it for me. The legalism yeah. to despair can work. Yep. Um, saying to legalism, to pride, to wait a minute, this isn't working, to despair, to, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so in this case, that, that being turned over to whatever I want is, is going to lead mm -hmm. to an, an empty, miserable life where my relationships are destroyed. And of course, that can break a couple of different ways. You know, it might lead to the point where I, I think God's abandoned me because all my family and friends have abandoned me because I'm such a pain to be around. Yeah. Um, or I've created so many terrible circumstances by my actions that, you know, I'm in some sort of trouble or something like that and God has deserted me or... It, it's just, it's a mess, right? Yeah. And then to, to eventually maybe as I, if I start to realize that, then at some point maybe God can't pull me out of that, mm. the depths of that. So again, in the last son, it kind of worked. Like they got to the bottom, so I better go home. But you could also get to the bottom and go, there's no, there's no re redemption for this. That's Judas, is, that's Judas Iscariot, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. He, he reached, far. he got, went so far that his despair was palatable and, he believed he was completely lost. There was no hope and he committed suicide. And, and that's, that's how bad, that's how far it can go. Yeah, I think it, it almost seems like it, it go back in one of two directions, right? It can lead me back to, I'm fine on my own. I don't need Jesus. Mm -hmm. Or it can lead us back to that despair. Um, why are things not working out? Why are things in this world such a problem? Why is it such a mess? Why? Um, you know, my experience and all this pain and suffering, and then we, we, we come back to this state of confusion, not really remembering kind of what got us in, the, in all this mess in the first place, which is, mm -hmm. um, you know, going outside of God's design and, and what he intends for us. Um, I experience pain and suffering myself. Uh, I, I start hurting my neighbor, right? You know, we, we forget to see what the law in part is for, right? Mm -hmm. You know, don't, don't lie to your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't cheat on your neighbor. Don't bear false, you know, don't do these things because that hurts your neighbor, right? Right. So we then get back into the spiral of kind of confusion of wondering why is everything happening the way it's happening? Mm -hmm. And then lastly here, uh, we forget the very foundation 
of why we needed Jesus in the first place. If I'm suddenly now free from the law, and I am in the sense that I don't need it to get to heaven, but if I'm freed from any kind of um, responsibility according to the law, I forget the fact that I break the law. Yeah. And I continue to need Jesus, not just once, but every day of my life. That's really good. That um, is why, uh, for example, and what we're talking about, Romans 6, uh, beginning at verse 1, is so important. Uh, Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Mm-hmm. By no means. Don't you know that you have died to sin? And, and so we, we, we can't go along with this libertinism that will just kind of, you know, unleash the flesh and say, do whatever you want. Um, also in Romans chapter two, I do mention this in the book on page 217 in talking about the other wrong approach, no law at all, antinomianism, and as I label the subtitle, and the loss of conscience. Um, you mentioned the, the way we're designed by God. Well, one of the ways that we're designed by God is that God gives us a conscience for a good reason. Uh, it's a gift, conscience is a gift. Even if a person doesn't follow it necessarily in a given instance, the person is given a gift from God internally to know what is right and what is wrong, what, what, will, be, what will be helpful for them and what will be harmful against them. And every time we go along with libertinism and tell ourselves that it's okay to live this way, we are chipping away at our conscience. So just think of your conscience being given to you when you were born as a, um, you know, a, a, a blank piece of white paper, eight and a half by 11. Every time we deliberately say, I'm gonna sin anyway, because it doesn't matter, you tear off a little piece of that paper. You do it again, you tear off another piece. You do it again, you tear off another piece. And before you know it, your conscience is left bare. And you have lost a very, you can destroy, we can, we can destroy a very precious gift from God. When you said it doesn't matter, my first thought was, who is hurt by my sin? Mm. And is that what they would say? Mm. Right? Well, it doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. Yet the person who I just hurt because I went outside God's guideline yeah. is probably not saying, wait a minute, it doesn't matter. It mattered to me because my sin ends up hurting people in some, in some way. Well, and they wouldn't apply the same standard. So if, if I think it doesn't matter what I do, but then you do some injustice towards me, I'm pretty quick to change my tune. <laughs> think about the um, drastic effect described in scripture about what can happen. Um, and I, I see, Ben, you reminded me where we brought up uh, the prodigal son, but this is on page 218, but it, I, I get into a couple other scriptures I'll share with everybody right now. This account in scripture though, uh, has a good ending for the prodigal son. The prodigal son's misery led him to seek out his father and he finally experienced unconditional love and mercy. But, and this is as Ben was saying before, this is not always the outcome when conscience is rejected. St. Paul describes this alarming state of affairs in, in the book of Romans. This is Romans 1, 28 to 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to do, to do what ought not to be done. (laughs) They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them which is to say that this condition is indeed infectious. It spreads to other people, as you were, in, you were saying. What is described in Romans 128 as having been given up to a quote-unquote debased mind comes out similarly in 1 Timothy chapter 4, especially as St. Paul describes the condition of, quote, conscience seared. Interesting. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, the word of the Lord, thanks be to, be to God. So to go against conscience, to treat the law as a libertine, to practice libertinism, to ignore it, not to understand its true purpose, is to set ourselves up for A, Paul's warning in Romans that leads to a debased mind, and Paul's warning in 1 Timothy that leads to a seared conscience. It's pretty severe. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, as you were reading this, particularly the Romans one, and I, and I, I realize it applies in all these, these circumstances that even for the Christian, but at that point, he's, he's speaking to, to pagans and um, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. I'm so glad I'm not the only one doing this today, brother. I feel it's better. It's raining. Right. You see, you know, when it rains a lot, this can happen. Yeah. Um, oh, I know. I'm sorry. It, it, it's, it's this reality that everything we've described so far, this legalism mm -hmm. and, and libertine, th this is under the guise of Christianity. Yep. Right? Absolutely. And so it, it's, it's not just that people are out there living however they want. They're living mm -hmm. out however they want, like in the name of God. Yeah. Right. Or they're chasing down a made up law in the name of God. Right? right. And so what we're describing are perversions of Christianity masquerading as Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that really yeah. is frustrating. Right. It's one thing for the atheist to pursue whatever they want and go do whatever they want in the name of nothing for their own benefit because they like it. And you kind of go, well, I, I, I hope eventually you find the nothingness of that in return. Yeah. But but this is, I think, what's so frustrating about all of these topics is that mm -hmm. this is happening within the church. This yeah. is stuff that is taught within the church and, and not mm -hmm. always at these extreme levels, right? It's always mm -hmm. kind of like a baby version of legalism or a baby mm -hmm. version of liberty. You know, no one's, I've never heard a pastor say, get out there and do whatever you want ever. Right. But like mm -hmm. you said, th these, these ideas are, e even if they're not at that extreme level, they're still perverting God's law and ultimately then the gospel. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's the just kind of a tragedy to me that that mm -hmm. people are showing up to hear from God's word what He has to speak to us, and we're just tweaking it enough, and it's enough to ruin everything, right? To cause all these problems of despair or delusion or, or just damage and destruction. Well, you have no idea how much you're um, leading me to think that this is really the problem that we're facing today, and. Because it's easy to say that, you know, because God loves you so much, you are completely free now, you know, and he's not going to hold this against you and just be who you really are. Mm -hmm. Do uh, what's really in your heart. And and these are the words of Satan. Uh, and he is very interested in destroying people. You're going to say, Tom? 
Well, I was just saying it, it, at its core, it, it's a complete rejection of God. And if you're rejecting his word and you're rejecting him, you're basically saying that sin isn't bad, mm-hmm. which is really what, again, going back to the purpose of the law from the very beginning. Yeah. Why do I need Jesus? Because I've broken his law, because I'm in deep trouble, because I can't do it on my own. Yeah. And now we receive that salvation from God. Mm-hmm. And then if our response is to say, oh, great, God's law doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. We've rejected the very foundation that led me to trust in Jesus in the first place. Yep. Top of page 219, I, I talk about some of the rationales that uh, go into uh, trying to justify libertinism that relates to psychology. And, and you know, I mean, after all, if we, if we allow ourselves to do certain things, at the end of the day, day aren't, aren't we really practicing a, a form of psychological outlet, you know? And I, I warn against that. Um, ha, have you ever noticed the efficacy of uh, when you have a cough and you actually tell yourself that if I, if I cough some more, I'll help my cough go away. And then you cough some more and then you need to cough again. <laughs> and so it's like the more you cough, the more you cough. Or when you have a really bad itch, right? And, and you itch it and it feels better and you go, oh, okay, I'm glad I itched it. And then it just completely goes away, right? <laughs> the itch comes back. It's like the more you scratch, well, the more you scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, if we allow ourselves to practice outlets regarding our sin, guess what? The more we sin, the more we'll sin. Mm-hmm. It happens every time. We cannot go this uh, down this road of uh, psychological justification. It doesn't work. It, it backfires on us every single time. Well, it shows us that it makes it, it convinces us that sin isn't bad. Right. Right. The more I keep doing it, it's not that yeah. bad. It's right. not that bad. It's not yeah. that bad. That, that becomes a really fundamental problem. Right. Too. It's like a man who says, well, we'll make this a little more real, who's tempted to fornicate, but uh, rationalizes in his mind that, well, he'll be helped to avoid that temptation if he goes home by himself behind closed doors and watches pornography. This is a, a psychological safety net to keep me from fornicating in real life with this woman. But what happens when he does that? He makes it worse and the temptation grows. So we just can't negotiate this. And, and I, I love what you said, Tom, in terms of at the end of the day, it's just another form of rejecting God because you're rejecting his word. I feel like we're already all the way back in the garden, right? Yeah. You shouldn't eat from this tree. Yeah, looks good to me. Right. Yeah. And so now we're, we're redefining things. God says, um, you won't be able to ta- uh, fulfill my law. You, you won't live up to it. And we go, well, I bet I could. We're just disagreeing with the creator of the universe or mm-hmm. um, my law is still good, even though you don't need it to get into heaven, so to speak. Yeah. I've, I've rescued you out of that. My law is still good for you, though. And we go, yeah. well, I don't think so. I mean, That's we're just excellent. saying the exact opposite yep. of what he's saying. And yeah. in all cases, yeah. it ends poorly. It's another way to be God, Correct. to think we're God. Yeah, and usually people think like, oh, you yeah. know, I want to rule over everything. No, yeah. you just want to set your own own rules for yourself even. It's so, it, it's such a, a high endeavor. We, we don't take this lightly on um, a light of the world. We want to, you know, we, we enjoy doing this. This is a lot of fun getting into this, but we also understand that we have a responsibility to present God's word properly. It's a very high responsibility. Um, which is to say we're, being, we're signing up to be judged more harshly according to what God's word says. 
But there's so many angles that we have, we're trying to be considerate of, and I just, I wanna be as thorough as we can. When the scriptures teach uh, about the possibility of de a debased mind or a seared conscience, God is not saying that anyone who might arrive to these states are therefore eternally condemned to go to hell. Now, look, we, no one wants to go there. We're not pleased. We understand we do not recommend anyone practicing libertinism to lead them to the possibility of a seared conscience. We, we, it's a bad, 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 bad place to be. But even if we could look in the heart and know that someone was there, we should never condemn that person because God may have brought that person to the bottom of the barrel to just raise them up to know what they really need for the first time. So this is not a platform to set us up to start judging people or looking down on people at all. Uh, and by the way, it's a much lesser point, but is of course still important. Uh, Tom, you had asked me about um, Rod Rosenblatt, um, and uh, you know, you know, as you're as you're growing up and everything, you, there are certain people that are are considered mentors in your life, and uh, he was one of my collegiate mentors. I had three: um, the Reverend Dr. Charles Mansky, the Reverend Do Reverend Dr. Uh, Garth Ludwig and the Reverend Dr. Rod Rosenblatt. And, and we dialogue regularly to this day. And to this day, my salutation on my emails to him are, dear professor. <laughs> so he'll always be my professor. He'll always be my mentor. He's, he's an astounding theologian uh, and I love him dearly. Um, I asked him to do a, an endorsement for this uh, next book coming out. But yeah, just an exceptional teacher, a, an exceptional, systematician and apologist, I uh, love him dearly. Uh, shout out to you, Rod, thanks for blessing the church. Um, so in, in moving on here, um, we're getting back to when to share this law. You guys already said some really, really good things. And uh, one of the, the things I bring out on page 221 is First uh, Peter 3.15, which interestingly enough, when we start season two, um, season two of um, Light of the World, we're gonna go to this book, uh, Faith That Engages the Culture. Uh, this book was released uh, by Concordia Publishing House in 2021, and it's about engaging people with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are major sections in this book about 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 teaches us how to engage, but one of the things that it says, it's packed, but it says that when we do it, when we give an answer for the hope that is within us, we are to do it with gentleness and respect. I'm bringing this out at this juncture because let's say we make the determination that the person needs law. We should never ever assume for some inexplic inexplicable, crazy, and yet popular idea that if you have to share the law with someone, all of a sudden you need to become obnoxious. All of a sudden you need to change your tone of voice and become very stern. You know, I mean, where, where is that written, right? If you do share the law, it is always to be characterized by gentleness and respect. If sharing the law becomes an opportunity to even, even approach the impression that, well, I'll, now I'm gonna give you this law that you need, and what I'm, what I'm doing is I give it to you is implying that, well, I've graduated and I don't need it like you do. If we ever approach that kind of communication, we've blown it. That is not what God wants. No, any, you any, need to hear the law. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do it harshly. Right. 
So we, we arrive to humility to properly communicate. Okay. We have now come to, um, how are we doing on time? How, how, how's the time so far, guys? Good idea. 45-ish or something like okay, that. Okay, okay. People watching can check the time stamp. Okay. See if I guess yeah, right. Yeah, 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 I think that's about right. So we, we want to go to the other word, the other message, the other theme, and that's the gospel. And uh, remember we were, we were distinguishing between the two messages and we said that the law is always putting it on you, what God commands you to do, what God commands you to avoid. It's all you. The gospel is the exact opposite of that. The gospel, as much as the law is all on you, the gospel is all on Jesus Christ for you. As much as the law is designed to drive us to um, conviction and holy despair, to know that we have broken the law, the gospel is designed to comfort you. So the law takes from you any sense of confidence or peace, the gospel gives to you comfort and peace. Again, not about what you do, but what Jesus Christ has done for you. The law is a requirement. The gospel is a gift and it is a free gift. And when we say free, we mean 100% absolutely free. It is the gift of God, not by any work so that no one can boast. So when we share the gospel, remember we've invested, we've talked about listening to the other person and, and just really getting in, investing in relationship. What are the things we're looking for to know when a person who may not know the gospel is ready to hear the gospel? What are your thoughts? People who's the weight of the law and the reality of their failures have overwhelmed them. Uh, where they feel, express, communicate guilt, shame, regret, remorse. Um, where they're truly humbled. Um, which again is always important for us to remember. Uh, you talk about, you know, we don't want to come across as holier than thou, better than other people, which is why it's so important for me to always be reminded of the law and have my sin be recognized by me, um, maybe pointed out by other people to, you know, when, when I need that, uh, so that I would never approach somebody who is broken with a sense of arrogance on my part. Um, but when I see that, that sense of brokenness, that's, that's that, that sign, I think. And, and again, how we see that, well, that'll depend on what they say, how they present themselves, your relationship, and how much you know about them. But I think once we start to get a glimpse of that, um, I think we we have the gospel ready to go. Yeah. Um, and maybe if you if you jump the gun a little bit and give gospel, maybe quote unquote technically too early, eh, maybe error on the side of that. <laughs> mm, I love it. Yeah, I would just add the someone who doesn't see their value, mm. someone who feels like they're not uh, loved, someone who. Um, has gotten that sense that they're not enough and and not, and, and maybe it attached to God's law like oh I'm not living up to God's law but but even just in a more generic sense of not feeling like they live up to whatever they think they're supposed to be or whatever society might think they're supposed to be but that you know it's that brokenness that that lack of value that lack of love 
um, this person needs to be comforted. And maybe that's it. Someone who needs to be comforted is one who should be comforted. I love that. I, I think, uh, amen to that. Um, the person who insists on legalism or relying on the law is someone who says, um, no, thank you very much. I'm, I'm fine. I, I don't need to be comforted because I feel pretty good about where I'm at. But the person who needs the gospel is like, I, I'm not all right. I, there's something wrong and, and I need to be comforted. Um, you know, precisely theologically, I, I look for people who will basically give me a sense of two things. One is that I, I am burdened. Um, and, and two, I, I can't unburden myself. Yeah. The word, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking about is the word enough. Um, I've heard, um, you know, Christians talk about even something as somebody who's, who's received Jesus is really, they might say something like, you know, my faith isn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. My blank isn't strong enough. It's not, they might think, you know, it, it's okay to some degree. It's not the worst ever, but even somebody, it, it's easy when somebody's totally broken, right? Mm-hmm. I think we can kind of see that. It's pretty obvious, like, like people that are just devastated and depressed. And negative self-talk, I mean, everything's negative, everything's negative. But I think what becomes even somewhat more subtle and more challenging sometimes is when somebody just goes, yeah, I'm doing all right, but you know, I just, I need to get a little bit better. Or I need to get an, I'm just quite, not quite enough. I'm not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. There's still even, I think in that element, a a recognition of a failure and saying, Mm -hmm. no, no, wait a minute here. Do you realize that Mm you can't be enough hmm. right but yeah. you are enough. you know yeah. that's where i think we can kind of come in with need to come in with the gospel as i like well. that I, I hear jesus speaking his word in matthew 11 come unto me all of you who are weary and heavy laden i will give you rest and i think that's kind of the litmus test if a person sees in themselves that they're weary and heavy laden that they need rest they need help then boom don't hesitate to share the gospel now, we talked about presuppositions regarding the law, which leads to all kinds of confusion. There's a major presupposition out there in um, our great country, America, and I, I love, I'm sure as you do, brothers, the United States of America. We're so blessed to be in this country, uh, just unspeakably blessed. With all of the problems we have, I mean, we, we just, blessings are, are just innumerable. Having said that, though, we do have a very strong sense of um, the, uh, the 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 sovereignty of choice. You know, we, we vote for our leaders, for example. We, we get to choose so many things of what we're gonna do with our lives and, and um, with, with our lives. <laughs> uh, they belong to God, don't forget. Um, but that this kind of emphasis on volition, on the will, uh, seeps into misunderstandings of the gospel. Uh, that is, the gospel can only be effective when I'm willing to accept it. And until that time comes, it cannot be effective. Now, now, now this is an interesting um, uh, place to be because, as I as I point out on page two twenty two of the book, um, the gospel does in fact demand faith. It, it's you. It's the only way it can be received. Uh, so, biblically speaking, it's true. One must have faith to receive the gospel, to hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to hold to Jesus. Faith is necessary. Okay, well, doesn't that imply, therefore, that God, if I would receive this gospel, that God is waiting for me to be able to exert my volition to believe? Now, we seem to have come to maybe a problem here, maybe a a quandary 
what do we do with this? I think we had to define what faith is. Um, when we think about faith, you know, a common, uh, a common question we like to ask our students is uh, to try to kind of help illustrate this point that faith is actually a gift. Mm. And it's confusing because if we define faith, you know, very common other words, you know, synonymous trusting, depending, relying, mm-hmm. right? I'm in a position where I'm dependent. If I'm having faith in something, I'm, I'm kind of dependent on something. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one doing that, though. I'm mm-hmm. the one doing the trusting. I'm the one doing the depending. I'm the one doing the relying. So it doesn't, isn't that an act of my will, my uh, a conscious decision and choice? Mm-hmm. So we'll ask students, you know, who in your life do you trust? You know, mm-hmm. who could you trust your life with, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak? Yeah. And, you know, I'll say, well, you know, you don't have to say who they are. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is this this person? Why does this person come to your mind? Mm-hmm. Well, every answer will start with, well, because they something. They've always been there for me. They have proven it to me. They have been with me through the ups and downs of life. They, 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 they. And trying to get people to, to see, I'll say, you see the common theme yeah. in every answer here? What a gift. Yeah. What a gift faith is. Yeah. The fact that you can trust somebody, rely on them, depend on them, yeah. isn't something that you just conjured up mm-hmm. in your own gut or your mind as an act of will to make yourself trust them. Yeah. That is a gift that has been instilled in you by this human being, by who they are and what they've done. Mm-hmm. And so I think that becomes a real challenge in a way that we, we're, we try and um, distinguish between, yes, we're doing the trusting, the faithing, but to be able to do that is an incredible gift that has been instilled in us from somebody, you know, somebody else. Yeah, it's, it's brought on by the other party, right? Um, I like to switch that around too and say, you know, picture somebody you don't trust and then start trusting them. And they're like, no, I don't know. the same answers, right? Like, why not? Yeah. Well, they, mm-hmm. on and on and on. Um, what's interesting then is, and I think maybe what confuses people is, you can actually go against that, right? Even in our own lives, you can trust that person mm-hmm. that you really, really shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Right. They've given mm-hmm. you all. But I feel like this is when my will is really getting involved. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I trust Tom because I've known him for 16 years mm-hmm. and I know who he is and what he's like and I've observed mm-hmm. him. And so if he says something to me, I, I mm-hmm. when I trust him, it's mm-hmm. because of him. If somehow I decided this morning to not, mm-hmm. that's where I'm really getting involved and in just making kind of a foolish choice. Right. right? And right. so when the when my will is overriding i guess mm-hmm. that's really the good natural response mm-hmm. yeah and again we see this all the time in, in certain circumstances where you've yeah. got that person who has let you down over and over and over and here you are ready to give them another shot i mean the the natural yeah. response the proper response would be yeah. to not trust and yet you could override it and so i think the yeah. same thing's happening with god i mean yeah. god is the one that has revealed himself to me yes right the reason I know that he's trustworthy is because he has shown me that he's trustworthy. He has delivered on all of his promises. He doesn't tell lies. He's honest. Again, it's the same thing. Why do you trust God? Because he, because he, because he, because he, right? Every answer is going to be about him. And that's just kind of almost like conjured in me. Like it's not something I'm, my will is out there pursuing or accomplishing. If my will wants to get involved, I could take all that information and say, no, thanks. Yeah. Like now I feel like that choice and that will is, is 
enlivened and acting inappropriately. It's, yeah. it's actually acting against the information. Um, but if I end up trusting God and, and yeah. receiving this gospel and receiving this work of Jesus, yeah. that's his work too. He's accomplishing that too. This is great stuff. Um, and it, we're bringing out uh, some important nuances. Um, does conversion have any relationship to the will? Well, the answer is yes, but it makes all the difference in the world where we put the will in that process. And, and my uh, introductory um, comments uh, as we started talking about this is really looking at the popular tendency to put the will first. And um, this is where the will gets in the way. This is where the will goes all the way. This is what Luther meant, that we have all the free will in the world to, to go to hell. It, it's that dangerous. Um, but it is. this is what happens. So let, let's just cut to the chase. Uh, the gospel is God's gift. God the Father presents Jesus to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In 1 John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. The 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3, 13, for Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This is all gift, gift, gift. Christ for you. Jesus in your stead. It is Jesus before you. And now you get to that context of your, your analogies about the they preoccupation. Now we're saying, well, I'm looking at him. And it's on account of him that I am inspired, uh, there it is, to believe. And, and this is a gift. And that gift impacts the will, but only after the gospel. So the gospel is something that, yes, requires faith, but it provides the faith that it requires. That's so, so great about the gospel. Why Romans 1.16 says, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So as, this, as Jesus is put before you, you're receiving the one you need to have faith created in you, in you, that you would receive him, including in accord with your newly born will. So it, it, we, we just shoot ourselves in the foot when we convince ourselves, no, 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 no. First, my will has to be sorted out. And then we'll talk about receiving the gospel. Wrong order. <laughs> it's not very dependent. <laughs> right. Um, so in, in the second place, we bring out here the gospel, as opposed to the law, that even when we deceive ourselves, eventually we're gonna be led to despair. It's gonna happen. The gospel is designed to take away our despair. It is to give peace. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the gospel gives peace, it gives relief. It tells us that we will not be condemned, that we are saved, that we are not uh, rejected, but we are accepted and received by God. This is the gospel. And so law and gospel, two very, very, very different things. It goes back, I think, to what you were saying before, like how do you know what to give? If the gift that you're giving somebody is peace, mm. ask, do they need peace? If, if the gift you're giving is comfort, do they need to be comforted? 
mm-hmm. you know, and maybe just even that simple, that framework is, you know, who needs comfort? Yeah. Somebody who's discomforted. Oh, they yeah. seem discomforted. Yeah. Now I know what to give. Now I know what to say, share with them. That's really good. I, I, uh, as, as I was wrapping up this chapter in the book, I, I guess it's almost towards the end of the chapter. It's a long chapter, <laughs> but it's the last chapter, uh, not counting the conclusion, but uh, I, I added a couple of things that CF, CFW Walther said, and this is uh, beginning on page one, uh, 225. Uh, this is uh, Walther. What if someone says, but the gospel demands faith? Well, just picture someone who is hungry. You tell them, come, sit down at my table and eat. That hungry person would hardly reply, who are you to boss me around? <laughs> <laughs> no, he would understand and accept your words as a kind invitation. That is exactly what the gospel is. It's a kind invitation to partake of heavenly blessings. The law issues only commands and demands. The gospel, on the other hand, only offers. The gospel does not take anything. It gives. And he further elaborated by quoting Luther. This is Walter and quoting Luther. In offering us help and salvation as a gift and donation of God, the gospel bids us to hold the sack open and have something given to us. Remember when we were kids and trick-or-treating and you hold that <laughs> sack open, you know, and it's all gift. You're like, wow, this is like free candy, you know. The law, however, gives nothing. It only takes and demands things from God, from, from us. Now, these two, giving and taking, are surely far apart. For when something is given to me, I am not contributing anything toward that. I only receive and take. I have something given to me. We're poor sinners who can do nothing to save ourselves. And all we do by the movement of the Holy Spirit is hold out an empty sack. And Jesus says, I am so happy to fill it up with the choicest gifts of food and drink that will save your soul and for that matter, your body at the great resurrection. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange when we try to take credit, like the little kid that goes trick or treating, they never come back home and go, did you see how often I opened up that sack? <laughs> right. They don't, you don't take credit like that. You don't no. open your presents on Christmas morning and go, man, I did an awesome job opening up that bike. <laughs> like you, you just, you, you say thank you to your parents, right? Yeah. That's, it's a weird approach. But there must be something about us that really struggles with freeness. Yeah. We just won't let it be just utterly free, which yeah. is so strange, you know, when you think about it, because by definition, right, a gift has to be free. Is the moment anything is required, whether it's a, a payment. Yeah, here's, I got, I got you a free lunch. It's just $2. Mm. It just sounds so stupid, right? We wouldn't even, we wouldn't even think to talk that way. But even if I attach something else, like here, I've got you a free lunch, if you say thank you, yeah. I'm still requiring something from you. Or, yeah. you know, I hope you say thank you. That might be the natural response out of gratitude. But to require it, all this, it's not free anymore. And yet mm -hmm. we're willing to let stuff kind of snuggle up to grace and gifts and freedom. And, and when we talk about God's work for us and just tack on a little bit mm. and, and it, it's it's just strange to me. I don't know what, yeah. where that comes from. I'm, I'm obviously all the sinful nature and all the stuff we've been discussing about the law and who we are and all that, but 
Like, why can't we just leave it alone? Yeah. Here is this free thing. It is for you. It's better than any other gift you can have. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> just enjoy it. And we have can't. It. And we can't stop. It's yours. We can't stop unless the Holy Spirit leads us to receive it rightly. That's yeah. the only way it's going to happen because we always do with that. What you're describing. Both the, both the reactions and both positions that we're in when we're when we're standing there with the the empty sack, realizing I have nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, the beggar is in that position, not because he necessarily chose to be, mm-hmm. right? It my you know, well, but you had to you had to open up the sack. You had to go at, ask for help. You had you know, but the, being brought to that position was because of a circumstance, because of you know something else. Mm-hmm. My response to being broken is not an act of my will. It's a natural response to being actually broken, to That's being really actually yeah. poor. Yeah. Then my response, and we get so focused on the response. You know, this is I think where we mm-hmm. get. To, to be able to receive God's grace and be comforted. Mm-hmm. So because I chose to be comforted or I mm-hmm. chose to find peace, it's a natural response from the fact that I was broken and poor to now I've been given literally everything, mm-hmm. the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, but you have to believe that or be happy about it. You have to, no, I just, I am, yeah. you know, it's it. both sides, both places we're at are just yeah. a response from the circumstance that I didn't have any control over per se. I just, I just found myself in, Yeah. but then we add this other step of, you know, and I think this is where we, we err a lot in the church. We, when we get so grateful for a real gift, right? Nobody has to tell me to be grateful. If something is really has value right. and really has meaning, I'm going to, I'm going to respond accordingly. Yeah. But then I might look at, you know, you and you're not responding the same way. Mm-hmm. And our solution is, well, you need to respond a certain way. You need to feel this way. You need to yeah. react this way. And then this is where the legalism comes in. We're not a real Christian because you're not responding the way mm-hmm. I did or way you should or other mm-hmm. people uh, you know, are, are telling us that we should. Um, and that's where maybe, you know, that's where we have to kind of refocus and go back and say, well, why aren't you responding that way? Well, maybe it's because the law didn't convict enough. You did, Maybe they don't really realize how poor you were, the gift that you were given. Mm-hmm. But when we pre, instead of trying to control outcomes, mm-hmm. control responses, mm. preaching and sharing the truth, here is where we are at mm-hmm. as we stand before the God of the universe. Mm. Ooh, it's not good. Mm. When that is realized, the response will be what it needs to be. Then when we just simply share the gospel, the truth of what God has done for us, I don't have to worry about that person's response. I don't have to control it. I have to manipulate it. I don't have to cajole it. I just want them to know the truth of the peace that God gives them. Mm -hmm. The response will be there. I love it. Absolutely love it. I actually thought maybe, I mean, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I I think that's a part Mm -hmm. of it. Like, Mm -hmm. like when you see the church isn't behaving right, we've got Mm -hmm. this thing in us that wants to like, so we're not really letting the gospel just do its thing and transform. Yeah. We want to get out ahead of it, right? Yeah. And I need to help ultimately what we're doing is like teaching manners. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. you know, well, I don't want to write a thank you card. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to write a thank you card, so write one. <laughs> well, when somebody pulls you out of the middle of the ocean, you've been sitting there for six hours treading water, no parent has to tell you to say thank you, right? Yeah. This is when, when you really grasp the, the thing. And so good. it's like when we look at our congregations or we look at our own lives or our friends' lives and we don't think we're seeing that 
transformation or like you said that the gratitude or excitement or mm -hmm. w at whatever level i mean we're making this up right i want to hit this level where is that coming from right mm -hmm. um and it's it, in a weird way we're kind of not trusting god's work to work and yeah. for him to actually trans transform lives through the power of his gospel mm -hmm. which when you sit back and observe people or even think about your own life the more you've heard the gospel mm -hmm the more you're changed. Yeah, that's you know, so true. You, you end yeah. up actually viewing things the way that, yeah. that God does, a little bit more, right? Yeah. Not that you're like, get there or anything, but you you start to be changed. But yeah. it happens when it happens, and it, we yeah. can't control that. We just want to jump in and, you know, make everybody look a certain way so that yeah. we can pat ourselves on the back that we're good little Christians. And, yeah. um, and instead of just letting the gospel, and then, then it, it messes everything up. It, it makes it all some sort of thing I got to contribute to us. All of a sudden, we're back in square one. But to stand back and see what it does all on its own, then we can say with St. Paul, I'm not ashamed yeah. of the gospel. As you guys were elaborating, I was thinking of Amazing Grace. And I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. It's just, it's in the moment existentially. It's just mm -hmm. there. We don't have to set it up. Well, I in the beginning of the the, mm -hmm. the whole hymn, yeah, amazing grace. Well, why is grace amazing? Mm. Why is it sweet? How sweet the sound! Mm -hmm. Why is it amazing and sweet? Mm. Because it saved a wretch like me. Yeah. If I am not, if the law doesn't do what the law does, mm -hmm. and what's intended to do, if I'm not broken, yeah, then grace is meaningless. Yeah. Grace is not sweet. It's mm -hmm. not amazing. I don't need Jesus. But the, the whole arc of the law gospel is in the beginning yeah. of that hymn. So, so ben, ben, Tom, and I were at a wedding last weekend, uh, last Friday. And uh, the, uh, during the service, the uh, DJ was supposed to start playing the, the music for uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And we were ready to sing. And, and instead, Amazing Grace came on. And I was standing there thinking, this is the wrong hymn, but I really like this hymn. So yeah, we can listen to it for a little while, <laughs> but isn't it a great hymn? And it just teaches us this whole disposition that you were describing. I had said before that we want to be careful as we present all of this. Um, we know we, we're bearing a responsibility. We're excited to share the word of God. But I had said previously that uh, the, 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 the difference between law and gospel included the fact that when we're stuck in the law and the law is bearing down on us like a like a hammer or a lightning bolt, it it deprives us of peace. Uh, but but the gospel in giving to us Christ provides peace. It gives peace. But um, I have on page two hundred and thirty an important reminder, um, trying to cover the bases properly, uh, to say that this peace that the gospel gives is what we might consider to be a, a vertical peace and not a horizontal peace. The vertical peace means that you do get peace. You have peace with God. You know God is on your side. That no matter what happens in your life, God is going to use your circumstances to bless you and to always carry you uh, no matter what. But at the same time, uh, to live in Christ uh, is not to know horizontal peace. We're going to have plenty of problems in the world. There are going to be plenty of people who disagree with us because we do confess the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're serious about sharing the gospel, uh, and for example, Shane Perry, who is doing our audiovisual today, would you know he would like to be open to the poss strong possibility of becoming a pastor in in the future, and that's a wonderful desire because he knows peace with God this way, but 
to choose such an endeavor if God permits him to become a pastor means lots of trouble this way, but nothing to fear because God will provide uh, every step of the way. So I just wanted to make that um, clarification. And then finally, I uh, wanted to share with you the last place I go in this chapter because once the law is does its work and leads us to the gospel, it doesn't mean, as I said before, that you know, no more law. Uh, we need it every day of our lives to keep us in the proper humility, knowing we always need Jesus Christ. And the way that the Lord protects our faith, that is a gift, and keeps us in a, in a good place, is through the ministry of the church where his word and sacrament is always given to us sinners to keep our faith alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many means of grace that give us the word, including baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, mutual um, uh, the mutual conversation and consolation of Christians. And um, I'm saving absolution over here for a second. Oh, uh, teaching and preaching, of course, what we're doing right now. Uh, but also uh, confession, absolution, when we can come with our burdens, which we do continue to carry uh, to, a, to our pastor or to another Christian, confess them before God and the other uh, brother uh, or sister in Christ, and then receive the absolution um, to know that we continue to be kept in Christ and forgiven. And that's where we wrapped up uh, the chapter, brothers. And um, for your information, folks, uh, those of you who are tuning in, uh, the book does have a conclusion. It, it talks about the convergence of all of the dualities that we talk about in this book. Um, but uh, check it out. It's very short and sweet. But it was such a privilege to share season one with you all. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Tom and Ben and I have uh, been through uh, just a wonderful blessing to be a part of this ministry. And Shane has recently joined us. And Brad Perry has been helping us along the way. But when we meet again, as I said before, we're going to start season two. And uh, this is Faith That Engages the Culture. Uh, we'll start in on this. Just today, I spoke to Brian Barlow. He's one of the... One of the servants of God that I interviewed in this book, and I, I let him know that we'll be asking him to come on air for this podcast. But we'll be following this book, and uh, we commend it to you, and we look forward to starting season two very soon with that. Thank you for joining myself and Tom and Ben and Shane and Brad, and bless you as you continue to rejoice in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Thank you. Thank you.